by reading our text, and so follow along with me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire chapter 3 of the book of Acts, even though our, our, our topic or our, our, what we're going to be looking at is only verses 1 through 10. I think it's important that we um, look at the, read the entire chapter because it really is one account, and I tried to make it, it put this all in one sermon but it just wasn't going to happen. So um, I did break it up into at least two different messages, but it's, it's necessary, I think, for us to understand the entire chapter. Um, so here we go, Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over to whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith is his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back from your sin, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and, the, and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And this is God's inerrant and truthful word. Well, as we approach verses 1 through 10, that's all we're going to deal with today is verses 1 through 10. There are at least two dangers that we are going to encounter as we seek to draw out the meaning of this text. And the first 
danger that, that we'll encounter, and probably the one that might be most prevalent um, in, in understanding this passage, is um, the danger of disconnecting this passage, the healing of the lame man, from the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin that the risen Lord provides. In other words, Peter interprets this miracle. That's why I read the whole chapter, because Peter interprets the miracle, the healing of the lame man, in light of the eternal purposes of God, putting forth Jesus as the one who would suffer, die, and rise from the dead. Um, In other words, Peter understands this miracle in light of the gospel. It is not a miracle for the sake of a miracle. And in fact, I'm getting ahead of myself, um, so Peter understands that this man is healed, but the healing is simply pointing to something else. And it's pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ came according to the purposes of God, died on a cross, and forgiveness, in the name, forgiveness of sins in the name of this Jesus is offered to you. That's what this miracle is pointing to. And so we run the danger of disconnecting this healing from the message that Peter preaches about the gospel. You will note that after the healing, there is no call for others to be healed. There is no healing service. There is anybody else need a miracle. It is followed by the gospel. This miracle is associated, it is understood in light of the, of the need of people to repent and have their sins blotted out. So, let us not fall into that danger and divorce the miracle from the gospel. Are you with me so far? We need to understand that. The second danger, and it's probably the one that I'm going to wrestle the most with, especially later on as I bring an application to this, and that is to allegorize the miracle. Allegorize the text. Make everything have some spiritual meaning. But I do think that there is... Allegory is probably the wrong way to understand this, but I would say that perhaps it's a parable, a living parable, a parable that's acted out. And if we understand a parable, uh, one of the simple ways of understanding it is a, a heavenly message with, or I'm sorry, an earthly message with a heavenly meaning. Perhaps we can see this as a earthly a story that has an eternal purpose to it. And so the healing of the man is really important. But the healing of the man points to something even of greater importance. And that's where we want to go today and also um, next week. So let me just give you a little context as we're studying in the, in the book of Acts. I keep, saying the, I keep thinking I want to say the gospel of Acts. It's not a gospel. It is the book of Acts. And um, we, we remember that the book of Acts began with the words that, that Luke is writing this to, to um, this individual, Theophilus, of with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So one of the things we're going to see today is more of what Jesus began to do and teach. He's doing it through his, his apostles, but this is the extended work of Jesus Christ. We also read in chapter 2, verse 43, which we studied last week, that wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. We're going to continue to see those two themes this week and next week, that wonders and signs are being done through the apostles um, and that this is an extension of what all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that's just kind of a, a bit of a context and now I'll give you a preview where I hope to go today. Once again, 
This is a miracle that is followed by a sermon. It's a miracle that then is explained. And as I mentioned earlier, the miracle points beyond itself. It points to the work of Christ. And as you read this, I don't know if you, if you remember when we worked our way through um, Acts chapter 2, especially the coming of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in other languages and then Peter's sermon that followed, you're going to note great parallels with chapter 3 and, verse, and chapter 2. So just go and read chapter 2 later today and read chapter 3. You're going to see that they are very parallel. They're very similar to one another. In Acts chapter 2, um, we see the miracle of speaking in other languages and speaking in tongues. And that miracle is explained in light of Christ. And it was not a call for the crowd to now speak in other languages. Peter didn't say, now, does anybody else want to do this, this great work? No, they understood the miracle in light of the coming of Christ to pay the penalty for sin and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter said, this is that. The miracle was a sign. The miracle in chapter 2 was a sign that Messiah had come. Peter explains that um, by his understanding it in light of the prophecies of Joel. And then the next question is, well then, who is the Messiah? And Jesus, and Peter then goes on and says, Jesus, whom you crucified, that God raised from the dead, now repent and be saved. So today we're also going to consider a miracle of healing with an explanation. We'll look at the explanation next week. So chapter 2 and chapter 3 are very, very similar, very, very parallel to one another. So let's look at our text a little more closely then. Um, and let me just give you a, a brief setting. We don't need to spend much time here since it's fairly obvious. Peter and John are going up to the temple um, at the time of the afternoon prayer. Uh, prayers, and this was probably something they did on a regular basis. There were morning and evening prayers, or actually there were three times of prayer during the day, and this would have been the afternoon prayers. And Peter and John, the apostles, are continuing to go into the temple and offering up um, these, these prayers, these set times of prayer. And as they are doing so, there is this lame man from birth, and, I, and it's quite possible that Peter and John had seen this lame man before because it says that they laid him daily at this gate and Peter and John had been going, probably going into prayer on a daily basis. But anyways, that's more for next week and that's just conjecture anyways. Um, but this lame man, he is lame from birth. He's been lay, he gets laid at the temple um, gate and his goal is basically to beg. Well, and to put it nicely, he's going to appeal um, to the kindness of strangers. Or perhaps appeal to their guilt. Or perhaps to appeal to their obligation. People were obligated to give to the poor. People might, like today, give to those who are less fortunate out of guilt. And some might give just out of pure kindness. But this guy doesn't care. I just need to get enough to get me through the day. So if you do it out of guilt, if you do it out of kindness, if you do it out of obligation, it makes no difference to me. I just need enough to get through the day. So this is the end. This is kind of the setting. And I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the crisis because every good story uh, requires a crisis. So here's the story. Here's the crisis. Here is a man who is from birth broken. He is broken from birth. In other words, he was born this way. This is his natural condition. This is who he is as a person. Lame from birth, born this way. There is no remedy for his condition. I'm certain he has tried. There is no remedy for his condition. His only solace, 
is in the very temporary and very meager offerings of others. The only way that he can receive any sustenance, any relief from his condition is from the kindness, guilt, or um, obligation of others. And by the way, this is very temporary. It's temporary because he'll be back tomorrow. Their attempts to help him provide temporary relief, but it is not permanent. And these offerings, as I said, will provide some comfort, but tomorrow he will be back. The testimony to his condition is that he was born this way, and every day he has to come back and seek comfort from others. We should also note that this would be a man who is viewed as cursed by God. This would have been the general viewpoint of people who were born in such a condition. Either his parents were cursed or he was cursed, but somehow he has the disfavor of God. He is at enmity with God. Somewhere there is something about him that has separated him from God. And in fact, he is not allowed to draw near to God in the temple. There are certain areas of the temple he would have been permitted to enter, but he could not draw near to God. You can read that in in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 17 through 20, where it says, and the lame will not enter into my house. You'll read the same in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 8, where it's even to the fact that, and, and I hate the lame. Not God, this would be David saying, I hate the lame. They do not they have no place in God's house. This is the man's condition, and he was born that way. And so, given this crisis, we look now at the encounter that he has with these two apostles, Peter and John. He sees them going into the temple, and he asks to receive alms. You got anything for me? And Peter and John look at him and, they, and he commands, look at us. And of course he does. He's expecting to get something. He's expecting a piece of silver, a piece of gold, some sort of token that is going to provide some sort of relief for me. It'll, it'll feed me a little bread today, perhaps help me buy a cloak to keep warm in the evening. It'll bring some sort of relief, some sort of joy and So, of course, he pays attention when Peter and John say, look at us. But today is not a day like every other day for this gentleman. Today is the day that that he does not receive a token of temporary relief. Today is the day that the Lord displays his power and love upon a man who has been broken from birth. Today is the day where he does not receive silver and gold. In fact, the apostles do not offer him what everybody else can offer him. The apostles do not offer him what the world can offer him. They do not offer him any ineffective means that can only provide a passing distraction from his permanent brokenness. They tell him, we don't have any silver or gold. We got nothing in regards to wealth. What they are going to offer him, though, is of so far superior value, this man can't even conceive of asking for it. They have something even more value, silver and gold, I don't have. What I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up. Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk by the power and authority of Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. By the power and authority of Jesus who comes out of Nazareth. Of course, the question is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, yes. Jesus of Nazareth. The power to reverse the curse. The power to reverse that which has plagued you from your birth comes from Jesus 
up north in Nazareth. The power, um, Thomas Walker says, the power was Christ, but the hands was Peter. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We cannot give what we do not possess, that is silver and gold, but we can give what we have, and what we have is far more valuable than any donation you will ever receive. We have the power and authority of Jesus, the risen Lord, who who lives and reigns forever and ever at the right-hand side of God. He begs for alms and instead he receives the mercies of God. He doesn't even know to ask for... (laughs) He just sees Peter and John as just two guys walking in to pray. You got any silver and gold? Nope. Here's what I have. I have the authority of the Lord of all. That's what I have. How about that? So here's the result. The result is that immediately his ankles are made strong. I love that. Immediately. And he begins leaping and praising God. Folks, I want you to understand, he is not just leaping and praising God. He is a sign of the fulfillment that Messiah has come. Look at Isaiah chapter um, 35, verse 6. This is a messianic prophecy that says that when Messiah comes, then the lame man will leap like a deer. Don't think that that is lost on anybody. This lame man is now leaping and praising God. This is a prophecy of the restoration of God's people, the bringing of God's people under God's rule, and not only are his ankles strengthened, that he can um, be free to leap and dance for joy, but his lips are loose for joy in what God has done. It just, just reminds me of Daniel dancing before the Ark of the Covenant, and he's leaping and dancing, and of course his wife says, you know, you're pretty undignified. You're the king of Israel. You're pretty undignified. And his response just kills me. You think that's undignified? Watch this. <laughs> I'd be even more undignified. This guy, I don't care what you think. A minute ago, I was lame. And I've been lame. I was born that way. And now I am not. And he is praising God. And notice this. And he took him by the right hand. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And then look at what he did. He entered the temple. This is a man born this way. He cannot move. He he relies on the alms of others. But now there's a permanent solution. And he is able to draw near to God, which he has never been able to do before. This is the power of Christ. Make no mistake, this is more than a healing. This is a living parable that is talking about something much greater, even greater than a man born from born lame from birth being able to walk. This is about the power and authority of the risen Christ. Because that's how Peter interprets it. That's why we read the whole chapter. Peter doesn't understand this is just a lame man being able to walk. Peter understands this is the gospel coming and Messiah coming and a man leaping like a deer and a man who has been prohibited from drawing near to God now being welcomed into the presence of God. This is the age of Messiah. His natural condition is reversed. He draws near to God. He is no longer an outcast. He is no longer considered an object of God's wrath. He is now seen as the blessed of God as he leaps and praises God. By the way, everybody sees it. This is a public event, and it's going to draw a crowd. And we'll look at that um, in the upcoming... I think I can get through it in a week. We'll see. So with that, um, let me just draw some, some application. As I've mentioned before numerous times this morning, 
This is not a miracle for the sake of a miracle. Jesus did not heal this man simply to show that he can. In fact, miracles in the Bible always point to something else. We note in the book of John, the Gospel of John, that miracles are called signs. They're not called miracles. You won't find the word miracle in the Gospel of John. They're always signs. Because signs point to something else. They they point to the reality. They are not the reality. They point to the reality. This is a sign. It points to the reality. It points to something else. And it is a miracle then that finds its meaning in the Gospel. Because that's how Peter understands it. That's how we're going to understand it. And so let me just perhaps draw some, some application. And I pray that I not fall into the error of allegory, but perhaps remain in the area of just this being a, a living parable. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 goes like this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins and what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying about, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were born that way. We were dead because of our trespasses and sins. We were separated from God. We were objects of God's wrath and we were born that way. That's who we are by birth. Dead in sin, separated from God. And there is, we were unable to remedy the situation. In fact, most of us didn't even know we were in a situation that needed to be remedied. We were dead in sin and we could not fix it. We tried. There were many ways that we sought help. The world cannot help. The world and others can only offer some sort of temporary and yet inadequate relief. The world and others can give us alms. They can entertain us, provide political solutions. If, you just, if we were just more educated, that would solve our problems. If we just had more knowledge, then we would not have the school shootings. We would not have the immorality that we see. We would not have terrorists. If we just had less poverty, then we wouldn't have gang crime. If we just knew more, better education, better laws, better politicians, if we had those, and those are all really good things, I pray for better laws, better politicians, I pray for a better education system, I pray for all of these things, I want you to know they are alms, and they have temporary value. They are distractions from the bleak reality that we're broken. We were born that way. And you think, with all of the intellect in the world, the greatest of minds can do little but offer alms. I think of maybe one of the most profound poems, maybe one of the most profound poems of all time. I'll quote it for you. I'm not that smart that I can maybe remember it all, but let me do my best. And I don't know who wrote this poem, but it's awesome. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All of the king's horses and all of the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You think that may be one of the most profound poems you have ever heard? That's what's going on. Nobody can put the man back together again and nobody can fix the problem. Oh, we, we've got the greatest intellects. We've got great minds. We can offer something, but it's temporary. Because we have tomorrow, we'll have to try and fix it again. 
from the standpoint of humanity's true needs, all of these things are just alms. They are nice, but they do not touch on the real problem. Solomon addresses this in Ecclesiastes, doesn't he? And I tried everything. Everything that the world can offer, I've tried. I've pursued it wholeheartedly and completely. And you know what? Didn't work. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The fact that we need to come back and receive alms testifies of, its inag- of their inadequacies. The fact that I have to um, keep coming back for more and more shows that they cannot provide a permanent solution. So is there a permanent solution? All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't do what needed, could not fix Mr. Dumpty's brokenness. There is a permanent solution. And the permanent solution in this context, and I believe in our present day context, is mediated through the people of God. The permanent solution is not through politics, it is not through philosophy, it's not through art or beauty or education. Because the problem of mankind is not that we have lack of knowledge. The problem with mankind is that we are at war with God. And we are separated from God by our sins. And we were born that way. That's our problem. Not that those other things aren't important. They're just not the core issue. And the solution is not found in more alms. The solution is found in the authority and the power of the risen Christ who died for our sins and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father and reigns as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's the solution. That's how Peter understands it. As you read this, he's, he's going to say, listen, you need to repent of your sins. Don't you realize Christ who you crucified, you put him on the cross. You put him on the cross. According to the plan of God, you put him on the cross. He died for your sins. Now, repent and believe the gospel. That's how Peter's understanding this, this healing, and that's why I'm trying to understand it in the same vein. The solution, then, is in the authority and power of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, rose again, reigns forever, and is coming again. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You understand that. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'll conclude with just a few quick points. This is a man who was lame from birth. He was born this way. And you and I are, by nature, children of wrath. I know we don't like to talk about that. We think, wait a second. No, I'm, I'm a really a good person. Ephesians says we are, by nature children of wrath, born this way. And we seek to find our solutions in so many different things. And perhaps even the church is guilty of this. We will find our solutions in social justice, or we will find our solutions in mission trips. We'll find our solutions in a variety of different things. Those are all good things. I pray for racial harmony. I pray for all of these things. But I pray that we... And I pray that we go on mission trips. But that's not our core problem. Our core problem is that we are broken people and we are broken from birth. And our solution, the solution is in the risen Christ. That's what we have. Oprah can feed the hungry, but she cannot declare in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. She cannot declare, and you can have salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. A political structure can provide food for the poor. And I think the church should be able to provide food for the poor. But what it can't do is declare the power and authority of Jesus Christ. That is something that is given to the people of God. It is, it is unique to the people of God. We don't have silver or gold, but what we have, we give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. 
the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you can have your sins forgiven and you can once again enter into a close relationship with Jesus Christ and God no longer is at war with you. There is a, a famous story. I believe it was a, I believe it was Thomas Aquinas, the, uh, the great medieval theologian who was touring with the Pope through St. Peter's Cathedral. And the Pope said to Dr. Aquinas, see, no longer can the church... Can the church say we don't have silver or gold? As he's looking at the beauties of St. Peter's Cathedral and Dr. Aquinas' response, and neither can we say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I pray that as a church, we are people who can say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, you can have your sins forgiven. You can have your brokenness restored, and you can go leaping and dancing and joyfully praising God in the temple where God is and you can have new life in him. So a man lame from birth, he was born this way. He's given new life by the power of Jesus Christ, resulting in nearness to God and great joy. And our message is one of life. Our message is the gospel. And the gospel is the fact that that God has created all things and we are accountable to that God, but we have rebelled against him, gone our own way, shaken our fist at God and said, I'll do it my way. We call that sin, and sin has separated us from our Heavenly Father. It has separated us from God, and the wages of sin is death. And so we have to ask ourselves, well then, if I have sinned from against a holy God and the wages of sin is death, is there any hope for me? Is there anything I can do? What do I need to do to reverse that? And the answer is that the work has been done for you in the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. He took your sins. Your sins then are placed upon the sinless Son of God who died in your place. And he rose again showing that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. And if you will believe in your heart, as we read earlier, or had read earlier, and if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And we pronounce that to you today, that you now can be a person who goes leaping and dancing and joyfully giving praise to God because your sins have been forgiven. Our message is one of life. Our message is the gospel. And I think the healing of the lame man portrays that perfectly. Would you stand and let's pray?